Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. Good, awesome. I, I just want to give a special thank you to those that have been helping up at the meeting space. Uh, it, it's uh, not, not a one-man job, and so uh, Pam and Greg uh, Polinsky were up there helping with some drywall and paint. My father-in-law, Greg, helped us uh, tear off. Uh, he's almost single-handedly, I think, tore off all the uh, tile floor that was down. Um, Scott's been up there helping do some paint. Chris Crenshaw's been doing some painting. And uh, just uh, appreciate everyone who's donated their time. It is looking amazing. And so uh, when, it, when it is uh, set and done, we've got the furniture and everything in there. We're going to have a special just kind of dedication uh, moment with our church just to thank God for what he's been doing. And, uh, and praying for the future ministry that is beginning to uh, unfold. And I'll, I'll just give you a kind of a, a cool little story. I was in there the other day this week um, changing out the, the lighting for uh, LED lights and doing some painting. And the landlord came in, and he was looking around at all the things that we're doing. And, and he was like, oh, man, I wish every tenant was as good as you guys. You know, so we're already making an impact on him and have had some good conversations with him. So pray for Sam. Uh, he grew up Catholic. He's from Iraq, so he is not native-born to America, but he's been here for a long time, and uh, just that God continues to work in his heart that uh, if he doesn't know the Lord, if he hasn't given his life to Christ, that uh, through our interactions, we could see him come to Christ, and wouldn't that be special? Wouldn't that be wouldn't awesome? That'd be awesome. That'd be worth, That'd be worth the investment. So today we're, we're kind of in week two. Today is week seven of our devotional. Hopefully that you're, you're in there. You've joined us in the fasting and prayer. And uh, God's been speaking to you, helping you get a vision for your life and uh, a vision for your ministry. How many of you know that if you ain't dead, you ain't done? If you have a pulse, you have a purpose. Right? So there, you never age out of being a child of God. And you're not too young to get started. Right, so even where you are right now, God has a vision and a plan for your life, and sometimes we're just so distracted with life that we miss it. We miss out on it. So these are moments we can get along with the Lord. We can just seek his face and try to drown out some of the noise, some of the things that get in the way, and, uh, and listen for his voice and what he would have to speak over our lives and things that he would have for us to do. And so we're doing that not just for ourselves personally, but also the church. My wife and I have had some great conversation about really narrowing down uh, the mission of our church, what, what it, the vision is that God has for us. And it's exciting to see that as we're doing that, he's already moving us along with, with uh, different projects and, and different dreams and things. And so I'm really excited. But when I was a kid, as we get into our, our, our study today... When I was a kid, I, was a kid, I started to get really bad headaches. I don't know if any of you experienced that, when you just get bad headaches. It was to the point where my parents had to take me to the doctor. And what the doctor discovered is that whenever I would read, my vision was out of focus to the point that it would create headaches. And so they had to prescribe me some reading glasses. Anybody experienced that? I know it's kind of a common thing. Yeah, there's a few of us. You know, maybe you're like that today, and, and, so, uh, and so you wear glasses, corrective lenses to help you be able to see. And uh, my, my wife, uh, every once in a while, will, will take her glasses and put them on the dog and, and see how they look. And sometimes she'll, she'll put them on me, and 
And I'm wondering, I guess I'm as valuable to you as the dog. I don't know. But whenever she puts her glasses on me, it makes my eyes go nuts. And I can't only stand it for a few seconds because then my brain begins to hurt. My eyes begin to hurt. You know, there's a, there's a phenomenon that happens whenever your eyes are out of focus. When your eyes are out of focus, it causes headaches. When your vision is out of focus, it causes pain. And many of us, myself included, are living in a perpetual state of pain. Paul the Apostle in 1 Corinthians 13, he describes kind of the state we're in right now as he's talking about, this is the, the famous love chapter where we get to hear about what God's love is and the beauty of this, this poetic description. But in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 12, here's what Paul says. He says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we'll see face to face. Now we know in part, but then we shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. What, he's, what is he saying? He's saying, right now we all see with impaired vision. It's like looking in a mirror that's been dimmed. You, you can kind of make out the image, but you can't really see the reality of who you are. You can't see yourself the way God sees you. You can't know the truth. You can't know uh, reality the way God knows it. But there is a day coming, beloved, when Jesus is going to come back. And in that day, you'll see as he sees, and you'll know as he knows. So right now, we live in this tension point. We live in this pain pain point as we live every day of our lives with impaired vision. In that darkness that we're looking through, it clouds the way that we want to go. It clouds the things that, that we really want to do, the things that we want to accomplish. Jesus in John chapter 11, verses 9 through 10, he says, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. When it's dark outside, it's hard to see where you're going. Have any of you taken a stroll in the dark in the middle of the woods at night? It's hard to see where you're going. You know, sometimes you think the trees are moving. Or something behind the trees are moving. You don't know if it's a tree or a Bigfoot playing tag. I don't know. Your eyes can play tricks on you. You can bump into stuff. You can't see where you're going. You need a light to shine the way. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying if you're walking in the day, you don't stumble because you can see. But if you're walking in the dark, then you're going to stumble. You're going you're, you're gonna to trip over things. It's like when the power goes out at home and you are stumbling through the house trying to find your flashlight. Isn't it interesting that you live there every day. We have our houses mapped out. We know where everything is. But when the light goes out, goes out you're, still, you're still bumping your knees, stubbing your toe, you know, bumping into stuff like you've never been there before. I believe wholeheartedly the worst pain in the world is stepping barefoot on a Lego. You've never felt pain until you felt the impressions of a Lego on the bottom of your bare foot. And that's what happens when we walk in the dark. We can't see what, where we're going. Impaired vision causes pain. But I'm here to tell you, beloved, we do have a light for our lives. 
There is a light that's been given to help us see. Now, each year at the beginning of the year, we, we try to have a little family meeting in our household, and we try to come up with goals and, and, and really uh, kind of cast a vision for our family. We, we come up with some family goals, and this year one of our goals is to try to memorize more Scripture as a family. So we're beginning to develop a, a list of memory verses, and when we have our family time, we will go over those verses, and we'll play games to try to help us remember those verses. It's been kind of fun, but the, the first two verses for us this year, the first one is Psalm 119.105, and we're talking about the light of life. This is what the Word of God says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light, a light unto my path. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 19.7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. How many of you know that the Word of God is the light of life? It's the light of life. It's what helps you see. So walking in darkness is synonymous with walking around in foolishness, the psalmist is writing here. You can't see where you're going. You can't discern which way to go. You don't know what's really true or what the world wants you to believe is true, and we stumble. But here the psalmist also says the Word of God makes the simple or the simpleton a wise guy. I want to be a wise guy. I want to have the wisdom of the Lord. It makes wise this simple. In other words, it restores the soul from the effects of years of foolishness. How many of you need to be restored over some years of foolishness? And this is church. Y'all need to tell the truth. Come on. Can I get an amen? We all need to be restored over years of foolishness. It's a lamp for our feet so we don't stumble and a light for our path. And path. And Jesus, Jesus encourages us in the New Testament in John 12, 35 Jesus is saying to his disciples here, he says, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have light, lest the darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. This verse has meant a lot to me in multiple ways over the last few years. But here, here he's saying, walk in the light while you have it. Walk in the light while you have it so darkness can't overtake you. Because when the light is gone, you'll be surrounded by the dark. When you walk in the light, darkness can't touch you. And there's a, a deep mystery here. There, there's a, a reality even pertaining to spiritual warfare in, in this verse. It has many implications. Something as simple as walking in the light keeps the enemy from being able to overrun your life. Because light shields you from the darkness. Light brings wisdom. Light helps you avoid the places that cause you to stumble. And how many of you know there's a difference between man's wisdom and God's wisdom? His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Right? This can be seen as a story I was, I was turned on to this, this past week that illustrates this, I think, perfectly. is the story of Israel's first national king. Israel had many kings over their history, but the story of their first king the first national king, is a really important story in the history of the nation of Israel. King Saul was the first king Israel anointed. Up until then, they had 
what they call judges or like we would think of judges today, men appointed, even some women appointed to govern local areas. The prophets would declare the word of God. The judges would enforce what God said. But there came a time, Samuel, the prophet, was the last judge in Israel. And there came a point where Samuel was getting older. He was uh, soon to pass away. People knew it. His sons were not living godly lives like he was. And so the people came to Samuel, and they asked him for a king. And so Saul was chosen by God to be king. He was anointed. And his anointing, Samuel anointed him with oil, and then God anointed him with the Holy Spirit, came upon him in power, and anointed him so that he could be Israel's deliverer from the Philistines. This was a big deal. But not long after Saul's anointing, Saul lost his anointing. Not long after his call, Saul lost his calling. Not long after Saul received the kingdom, Saul lost the kingdom to another man who was after God's own heart. And why did that happen? It's because Saul didn't obey the Lord. Samuel gave him instructions, so Saul got to the battlefield and decided that he had a different idea, and so he did something in opposition to what Samuel had instructed, and in 1 Samuel 15, 23, here's what Samuel says to Saul. He says, rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft, and the stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols, so because you've rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king." Notice he says rebellion toward God is as bad as worshiping idols, false gods. It's as bad as seeking demonic power for power in your own life. Beloved, walking in darkness invites the darkness to walk with you. Walking in darkness invites darkness to walk with you. Again, Saul was anointed king, but he was not the kind of king that God wanted. You can read this in Deuteronomy 17 in the law. As God is giving this to Moses, he says, he says there will be a day when the people will ask for a king. And when you appoint the king, here's what the king needs to do. He doesn't need to build big houses for himself or try to build a name for himself. What he needs to do is handwrite and copy his own copy of the law, give himself to the word of God day and night that he would know how to lead the people of God. God's kind of a king is a pastoral king, one who serves the people and leads them into the covenant blessings and the covenant of God. In obedience to the covenant, in faith, that as he studied God's law and gave him to the law, he would lead the people of God in it. That's God's idea of a king, was a covenant leader. But Saul wasn't a covenant leader, and that's not what the people wanted when they asked Samuel for a king. In 1 Samuel 8, 4, and 5, here's what the people asked Samuel. He says, finally, all the elders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. Verse 5, look, they told him, you're now old and your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge us like what? Like all the other nations have. We want a king, but we won't want God's kind of a king. We want the kind of a king that all the other nations have. We want what the world, the world has. We, we, we want someone that we can see. 
that we can touch. We want someone that will guarantee our security, someone that will provide for us, someone that we can rely on, just like the other nations. We're tired of just trusting that God's going to fulfill his promises, that, that, that he's just going to do what he said he's going to do. That's too hard, so we want to make it easy. We want a man to take God's place, and that man was Saul, and Saul did everything that God said they would do. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 11 through 18, Samuel relays to the people what God declared a king that is not like his kind of a king would do when they asked for a king. And here's, I want you to just really dial into what Samuel says. Like, when you ask for a king other than God, here's what you're going to get. In verse 11, he says, this is how a king will reign over you. The king will draft your sons and assign them to chariots and his charioteers, making them run before his chariots. Some will be generals and captains in his army. Some will be forced to plow in his fields and harvest his crops. Some will make his weapons and chariot equipment. The king will take your daughters from you and force them to cook and bake and make perfumes for him. He will take away the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his own officials. He will take a tenth of your grain and your grape harvest and to distribute it among his officers and attendants. He will take your male and female slaves and demand the finest of your cattle and donkeys for his own. He will demand a tenth of your flocks and you will be his slaves. And when that day comes, you will beg for relief from this king you are demanding now. But the Lord will not help you. Notice how many times Samuel said the word take. He's going to take your kids. He's going to take your crops. He's going to take your freedom. And he also used words like force and demand and draft. You see, beloved, when God is king of your life, you get to live like kings. But when you serve another king, you live like slaves. God is king, you live like a king. But when someone else is on the throne of your life, you're going to live like slaves. Jesus in John 10.10 says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. The enemy, the one we wrestle against, he enslaves. But beloved Jesus sets free. The enemy has come to take from you. God wants to give to you because he's a generous, generous God. When we follow man's wisdom, we walk in the dark. God's wisdom, we walk in the light. So what's the result of walking in the dark? It's pain. And when walking in the darkness, these consequences of choosing another way other than God's way come to pass, and pain begins to fill our life. Did you catch what God said to the nation of Israel? He says, there is going to come a day when the consequences of your choices, the consequences of these desires are going to come to pass. In that day, I will not help you. How many of you know, beloved, that God is not obligated to get you out of your mess? Consequences often come, and God is not obligated to keep you from consequences. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of that sin is death. 
and we're all going to die one day. There are consequences to our decisions. There are consequences. And so when we seek after another king, when we seek after another God, when we walk in the dark, consequences are going to come. And God's not obligated to keep you from those consequences. But I'm so glad that he's gracious, merciful, and kind, tenderhearted, and has unfailing love that often he keeps us from consequences we definitely deserve. It's called mercy. And he gives us grace that we don't deserve because of his unfailing love. But a lot of the pain we experience in our lives and relationships really boils down to our vision, to our focus. A lot of the pain we experience is simply a matter of how clear our vision is and whether or not we're walking in the light or in the dark. You see, if we want to benefit from the blessing of God's word, we need what the Bible calls faith. We need faith. In the Greek, the word is the word pistis, which means trust. So you can replace the word faith with the word trust and all the verses that come to mind and all the things that we know about faith. We can replace it with the word trust. Like without, without trust, trust it's impossible to please God. Ephesians 2.8.9 says, It's by grace we're saved through trust, not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, lest anyone should boast. The word faith is synonymous with trust, and this is important because we won't follow what we won't trust or what we don't trust. You won't follow what you don't trust. Jesus even said, If you love me, what? Obey my commandments. You won't obey him if you don't trust him. And you can't love him if you don't trust him. Right? Relationships are built on trust. If there's no trust, you can't have a relationship. You're not going to invest your heart in someone you can't trust to be true or to be faithful. So before we can love him, before we can obey him and follow what he said, we have to trust him. That's why James, in his letter to the church, says faith without works is dead. If you don't show the evidence of that faith, it's meaningless, and we're not going to show it if we don't trust it. We're not going to walk it out. We're not going to endeavor to pursue. You don't trust that God is telling you the truth. You're not going to listen to what God is telling you. And when we don't listen to God, we're going to end up hurting ourselves. When he says to do what we don't want to do, or he says to stop doing what we do want to do, it's his wisdom. He's calling us to the light. And it requires trust. When we lack in trust, we stop pursuing. But yet we do pursue wisdom. We will pursue wisdom from somewhere. If it's not God, it's going to be in the world. If it's not from the king of kings, it's going to be the king of this world, the ruler of this world. Just think about this in reality. How many of you, when you have a crisis in your life, will talk to 15 friends about your issue and never open God's word to see what God has to say about it? What's natural? My life's falling apart. Where do I find this, God? Lead me. No. It's let me call so-and-so. Oh, dude. 
I got a story to tell you. Can you believe what she said, what she did? What should I do? Leave her? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Get them back? Yeah. How do we do it? Let's do this. We don't seek God's wisdom when life's falling apart. Most of the time. We seek man's wisdom. What does that say? It says who we trust. We're trusting in our own strength. We're trusting in our own wisdom. We're trusting in our thoughts, our opinions, our experiences. We're trusting in everything in the world. Yet we're forsaking the light that leads to life. You know, most of us think we're pretty smart. I don't think anyone in here, if I said, who in here thinks they're an idiot? I don't think anyone's going to raise their hand. Your spouse might raise their hand for you. But you're definitely not going to raise your own hand. Even though we all have dumb moments, we have foolish stories. We think we're pretty smart. And if you're here and you are a Christian, you're a child of God, you've, you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would bet that if we would have a real conversation, you would say, because you go to church, you listen to Christian music, and you do devotionals here and there, that you believe that you're walking in the light. But what if we think we're walking in the light, but the light we have is really darkness? Matthew 6, 23, here's what Jesus says. He says, if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness, and the light you think you have is actually darkness. When it's actually darkness, how deep that darkness really is. If the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep the darkness really is. What does that mean? That means if you have opinions, thoughts, or ideas that are in contradiction to the Word of God, it's not light. It's dark. And many believers, even today, run off of their opinions, not off the Scriptures. They run off of what they think the Bible says or what God should think or how they feel about God and God's Word, not actually God's Word. That's why you get responses like, well, I think, well, I believe, rather than here's what it says. Here's what God says. And I believe that God means what He says. But this is a reality. And so we, we look at our lives and we think, man, I'm in another mess. God, how did I get into this mess? I thought I was doing what you wanted me to do. I thought I was living a good moral life. I thought, I thought everything was basically good in my life. How did I get in this mess? And it boils down to blurred vision. Because it's not the light that's leading our lives. And I believe that God wants to restore focus in the church today. Not just our church in, in our lives, and I do think he desires that, but in the lives of, of Christians everywhere. I, I heard uh, here recently a startling statistic that somewhere around 1,500 pastors resigned from their ministry positions last year, and the reason they gave is because their people are more committed to their politics than they are the person of Jesus Christ. There's some blurred vision. There's some blurred vision. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, Paul tells Timothy, 
And the Word of God declares all scriptures inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is true, make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, teaches us to do what is right, and God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. God has a vision and a plan for your life. He has something He's chosen for you to do. He knew you were going to be born long before He created the world. And he foresaw the moment you would say yes to him, yes to his son, and he planned a mission and a vision for you. He has things for you to accomplish, people for you to to engage with, things for you to do that are glorious and divine. You know how you figure out how to do it? From the Word of God. How you learn? From the Word. How you grow in wisdom? From the Word. How you know you're heading 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 in the right direction? From the Word. From the Word of God. I believe the Lord is trying to raise up a passion for His Word in our day today. That people would choose to believe that He would always keep His promises. That they'd be so committed to His Word that they know that no matter what the world is saying, doing, and influencing, that we would be a people that would die on that hill when it comes to going against God's word or staying true to the word of God. Because we know and believe that God is trustworthy, he's true, he's faithful, he will always keep every promise. One day, Jesus was hungry, and he passed by a fig tree. Many of you know the story. He goes to the fig tree, and he's looking for fruit, and he doesn't find any fruit on the tree. And so he curses the tree. I'm like, dang, Jesus, you must have been hangry. I mean, like, give the tree a chance. I mean, maybe a couple of days you might see something, right? But no, he curses the tree. The next day, he and his disciples walk by, and they see that it had withered from the ground up, like this miraculous thing. So much so that they stopped him to look at the tree and ask him about it. In Mark chapter 11, 20, verse 23, here's what it says. The next morning they passed by the tree. By the tree. He, had cursed. he had cursed, and his disciples noticed it had withered from the roots up. Peter remembered that what Jesus had said to the tree in previous day, and he exclaimed, Look, Rabbi, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. And then Jesus said to the disciples, Have faith in God. Trust in God. God. This is why this is so important, why the Word of God is vital, why what we invest our hearts in, our minds in, our our trust in is so important. He said, trust in God. Somebody say, trust in God. Trust in God. Have faith in God, because I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, May you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen, but you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. What are you saying, Jesus? He's saying this that I'm doing, those who believe will do the same works and even greater. You can do what I can do. If you trust in God. If you have faith in God. You can do the same thing. You can see miracles happen. You can see mountains move. How many of you need a mountain to move in your life today? 
You can see it. You can do it. If you trust and have faith in God. But what's he also saying? He's saying that miracles are largely dependent on our faith. And I know many people, they get really tense when you say that. Some groups, some leaders would say, well, you can't tell people that they have to have more faith in order to get a miracle. Because that's, that's abusive. That's, that's disingenuous. Because miracles are up to God. And yes, miracles are up to God. And God often does miracles when there's no faith present. So we're not boxing him in. But hear what Jesus is saying. He's saying, by and large, the way to access the miraculous is by trusting in God. So if you're not experiencing the miracle, the first place is to check your heart. Where is your trust? Where is your faith? Are you believing in God? Are you walking in light or are you following another path? Are you, are you trusting in something else or someone else? Have faith in God. You must really believe it will happen. How many of us have that kind of faith when, when we're asking God for something, we really believe it's going to happen? Or how many of us are just wishful thinking? If I'm honest, I would say that's me most of the time. I know we can. I'm really hoping he will. I'm not so sure. You must really believe. You must really trust. Because Jesus said, you can do the very same thing. I'm so happy that when we get to glory, this is going to be so much easier. And I'm going to run on the water with Jesus. I'm going to fly in the clouds with him. But here, while we're still here waiting on his return, faith is the way. Trust is the way. And he is gracious. He often does beyond what we could ask or think. But many times in the New Testament, Jesus rebuked his disciples, and he would say a really familiar phrase. He would say, O ye of little what? Little? What's he saying? He's saying, you're not trusting me. You're not trusting the Father. You're not trusting who I am, what you've seen, what you've experienced. You're not trusting what you've heard. You're not trusting me. And one day, Jesus and his disciples were coming off of a mountain, and some of his other disciples were still in the village, and a young uh, a man brought his young son to them to be healed. The son had a, de a demon that would often throw him into the fire and, and just was really tormenting the young boy. And so the disciples, they had, they had gone out on missionary journeys. They had done miracles before. And so they were praying for this boy. They were trying to cast out the spirit, but they couldn't do it. And so the man brings the boy to Jesus. And because of the failure of the disciples, the man asked Jesus for help. But what he asked Jesus, he says, if you can help me, please heal my son. If you can help me, please heal my son. And what I notice here is that it's the lack of the faith of the disciples that created an inability of the man to believe what Jesus could do. May it be that the world has such a hard time believing the word of God because the church has a hard time believing the word of God.
And it's the lack of faith in his followers that creates doubt in the hearts of people who are far from him and have no idea who he is. I believe God is calling us back to trust, calling us back to genuine, passionate, pursuing faith, rather than an if-you-can-help-me kind of faith to a I-know-you-can-help-me kind of faith. There was a, another man who was a leper who came to Jesus, and he says, Master, I know if you're willing, you can help me. That's a different response from if-you-can-help-me to I-know-you-can if you'd be willing to. Well, Jesus speaks to this man whose son is in torment in Mark chapter 9, 23 and 24, and he asks him a question in return. He says, what do you mean, if I can? I don't know if Jesus was ever snarky, but that would be the perfect time. What do you mean, if I can? No, he wasn't proud. But did the man know who he was talking to? No. What do you mean if I can, Jesus asked. And again, read this with me. Anything is possible if a person believes. Oh, ye of little faith. You're facing a mountain. It's too high to climb. But anything's possible. What's that mean? You don't even need to climb it. You can soar over it. You can speak to it and watch it fall into the sea. What is that for God? It's nothing. Anything is possible if you believe. The father instantly cried out, I do believe. Just help me with my unbelief. And that's where I would say, most of us live. We believe he's the son of God. We believe he's powerful. We believe there's power in the name of Jesus. But we're riddled with unbelief. I know he can, but I don't know if he will. And I don't know if he would through me. I don't know if he's going to deal with this situation. I don't know if he's going to heal me because I've struggled with this for 30 years. I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, no, I don't know. I don't know. I'm filled with doubt. And beloved, I believe God is calling you to faith, calling you to trust again, calling you to love because all things are possible for those who believe. Beloved, I'm tired of walking in the dark. And I'm tired of the pain that comes with blurred vision. And maybe you're like me. Today you need to renew your trust in the word of God. Because if he said it, you can believe it and you can count on it. Because the one who spoke is faithful. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I read in the Psalms this morning, David prays you seven times a day for your word. You didn't abandon us. You didn't leave us helpless. You didn't leave us without a guide. You didn't leave us swimming in the dark. God, you lit a light. You spoke through your prophets. 
and you manifested your truth and your light through your Son. You gave your holy apostles your word, and now we have the written record of all you've declared. It's the foundation of our faith. It's the building blocks for our spiritual lives. It's the encourager to our confidence. It equips us to do the work. It inspires us to keep believing, keep moving, keep seeking. It reveals Jesus and opens the door of faith. And so right now, God, I just pray in this room, wherever we are in this moment, if there's someone here who's not a child of God, they've not given their life to Jesus Christ, they've not had that moment where they said yes to him, they have another king on the throne. They've been seeking the wisdom from that king, and they find themselves more like a slave today than, than a child of God. God, I pray that today would be the day they would accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that there'd be a swap on the throne, and that Jesus would sit as king as the Lord of their heart. And God, I pray for the church, those of us that believe but are still wracked with so much unbelief. God, this world has a way of whittling down our faith, coming against us, bringing attack, weakening us because of the battle. God, I pray for a renewal. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come and come in fire, Lord, that you would anoint us, God, that you would fill us afresh today, that we would have open eyes to see, open ears to hear, a mind that understands, and a heart ready to receive and believe everything that you have spoken and everything you want to continue to speak. God, that when you lead, we would not hesitate to follow. God, that we would be the faithful that would die on the hill of the truth of the Word of God. God, that we would ground ourselves in truth, that we would be passionate and hungry for the Word, that we couldn't go a day without getting into the pages of Scripture and discovering the beauty of the Word and will of God. God, I pray that today there'd be a fire of revival that is lit in our hearts. That, God, we would walk with that, that mountain-moving faith because we don't just think we know all things are possible with God. Nothing is impossible with you, God. What might be impossible for man is more than possible for Almighty God. And we renew our faith in you today. God, I thank you for your graciousness and kindness. I pray this in Jesus' name. With every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around as the music begins to play for our time of response. In just a moment. We're going to invite our prophetic team forward to minister to us in the, in the gift of a prophetic, prophetic ministry. But if you're here today, and there's another king on the throne of your heart, you find yourself to be a slave. Beloved, let me tell you, Jesus has come to set you free. He has come to open blind eyes, open prison doors, make the lame walk, and enable your heart to leap for joy. If you're here today and you know you need to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to put him on the throne of your heart, I would like to just pray for you, pray a blessing for you. If you're here today, would you just slip up your hand and say, Pastor Joey, that's me. I need to give my life to Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Pastor Joey? 
Amen. So, Lord, I just pray. I pray right now for the one who raised their hand. I pray for anyone else in the room that maybe feels that tug on their heart. And they were maybe just too scared in the moment. God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, you give them the faith to take that step. God, this is a joyous moment. Your word says there's a party thrown in heaven when, when anyone turns to you to give you their heart, to make Jesus Lord and Savior, to turn from sin and to trust in Jesus. And so, God, I'm excited that we're getting ready to celebrate with the King of Kings and the angels of glory. And I just pray a special blessing on those here today. If you raised your hand, no one looking around right now, I just want to encourage you to not wait, don't hesitate. Right now where you are, put Jesus on the throne of your heart. We're going to pray a prayer together. The Bible says if you believe in your heart, God's raised him from the dead, and you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior instantly, without measure, the Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to make his home in your heart. You're going to be saved. You're going to be delivered. You are going to become a child of the living God. And from that day forward, the Bible says you're going to be a brand new creation. You're not going to be what you were. You're going to be something altogether new. And so I encourage you, right where you are, just repeat this prayer with me. And church, I'd ask you to pray with me to encourage those that are seeking you today. Right now where you are, say, Father in heaven, thank you for your love. Thank you for sending Jesus on my behalf. I believe he died for me. And I believe you raised him from the dead. And today... To the best of my ability, I put him on the throne of my heart. Today, Jesus, you get to be Lord and Savior, now and always. In Jesus' name, amen. God, let's celebrate those that made the decision. If you made that decision today, please see me after church today. I have a gift for you, and I want to encourage you in your journey today. But if you're here and you have been struggling with the help me with my unbelief type of faith. You know that you've not been hungry for the Word of God. You know God's speaking to your heart saying, child, I have a blessing for you. There is blessing in the light. If that's you, for the next few moments, I just want to open this altar. I want to encourage you to come and lay yourself down and just recommit your life to Christ. Recommit your year. Say, God, this year I'm going to focus this year, we're coming into focus, 2020 vision, and it's going to begin with the word in my life. If that's you here today, I invite you right now where you are just to come and just to pray right here um, in just a few moments. And as you do, as you pray, our prophetic team is going to get into position, and then they're going to minister the word. at Vertical Life Church. We want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you and God bless.